Gentlemen, listen up. Prostate cancer is no fun, but it takes many forms. Some will get you fast. Others grow so slowly you'll die from something else. Well, now the Veterans Health Administration is teaming up with the University of Maryland on a research project. Its goal is to establish new surveillance methods to track those with low-risk prostate cancer. Here with what's going on, the chief of urology for the VA medical health care system, Dr. Mohammed Minhaj Siddiqui. Dr. Siddiqui, good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Tell us what you're doing here. How does uh, surveillance tie into those with low-risk cancers? We've actually embarked on a national project to improve the way that active surveillance is practiced in the United States and improve not only the way that it's practiced, but improve how often it is adapted. You know, Tom, just as you mentioned in your introduction, the issue is prostate cancer is the most common cancer in men. One in seven men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in the United States, but 90% of men who get the diagnosis of prostate cancer will ultimately live their life and die of something else. Yeah. So then if you have this type of low level or low danger one, the implication is you still need to check from time to time. And that's where the surveillance comes in? You're absolutely right. Exactly. Historically, in the past, before you know the community understood the cancer better, if you were diagnosed with cancer, you got treatment. Everyone was getting treatment. And then it became realized, you know, this is 15 years ago now, that too many people were getting treated. And, and treatment for prostate cancer is not without its own complications. And so they started doing these clinical trials and it, it became clear that if you properly select people with low risk cancer, you can keep a close eye on them. And that's called active surveillance. Active surveillance is not the same as ignoring the cancer or walking away from it. It's a very engaged proactive process where you are closely monitoring the person, usually doing blood tests and imaging and biopsies every few months. And it sounds like you have a good confluence of conditions to test this. One, you're looking at something that could be possibly used as a new surveillance technique for many types of cancers, not just prostate. But being the VA, you have a mostly male population of all ages to test. So how will this all develop? Prostate cancer is a major issue within the VA population. Many people who are veterans happen to fall in the age and gender demographic that prostate cancer peaks in. And so this is an issue of major interest within VA patients and VA providers alike. The project that I'm involved with is actually not only to just look at prostate cancer, but to improve prostate cancer active surveillance. And so while active surveillance has been around for 10 plus years now, it's still underutilized. Only about 30% of people who should be getting active surveillance do active surveillance. So a lot of people still undergo treatment, even though they didn't necessarily need it. And there's been a lot of changes in the way we manage prostate cancer. There's new imaging abilities with MRI. There's new tests like genomic biomarkers. And it's just not clear how to use it. So we are putting together a conference to bring together physicians and patients and advocates to discuss what should be the research priority going forward to improve the adaptation of active surveillance, make it something that people are more comfortable with using, and also bring active surveillance protocols up to date with all the recent kind of technology advances that have taken place in the last five years. So it sounds like you have the opportunity then to solve a lot of issues. One, you could probably lower the cost of surveillance, which is a real issue for VA, make it easier on patients, and also maybe have better medical outcomes, all three of the above, fair to say? I think all the above is the goal. And what I would say is that the stage we are at now 
what has happened is that, you know, there was a lot of activity in this space of active surveillance, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And there was all these clinical trials and research studies done. And then the research studies have kind of slowed down, but there's been all these changes and we need to develop well-designed collaborations and studies to update what we're doing. And so we're trying to engage researchers and patients to lay the foundation for the next generation of these studies. And we want the VA to be very much in the mix of providing insights as to what is important to people and what should we be focusing on as we do the next generation of studies. We're speaking with Dr. Mohammed Minhaj Siddiqui. He is the VA Maryland Healthcare System's Chief of Urology. And what do patients tell you? Because veterans tend to express how they feel about the Veterans Health Administration. And what's involved now with surveillance? How is it done now? Is it too frequent or is it invasive? Do you have to take biopsies and that kind of thing, which is no picnic? You're absolutely right. Some of the kind of uh, hesitation that patients have about active surveillance is that the typical routine is to do a PSA blood test every three to six months. And then every year, we will typically do a biopsy. We may also do a MRI kind of mixed in with all of that. And fundamentally, many people are uncomfortable with the thought that they've been told they have cancer, but they're not going to do anything about it. It takes a lot of explanation and coaching to make someone comfortable with it. And then some people will never be comfortable with it. But the challenge becomes when there's misperceptions or there's sometimes people hear about family members who got prostate cancer and died from prostate cancer. And not all prostate cancers are the same, but kind of conveying all these kind of subtle things does cause sometimes a lot of confusion and a lot of concern about active surveillance. And are there other cancers that have equal characteristics? That is to say, some of them are almost something you don't really need to worry about, but just surveil. So in other words, can this, what you learn in this research, be applicable to other types of patients? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think there are a couple. I mean, I think, you know, fortunately for men who are diagnosed with prostate cancer, on the spectrum of cancers, it is probably one of the less aggressive cancers. There are other cancers that you also can typically will do well from and just do surveillance for, you know, some of the, some of the skin cancers, thyroid cancer sometimes is considered like that. You know, every cancer is a little bit unique. So I, I think that the way to translate advances in one versus another is a little challenging. But I think the general idea that not every cancer needs to be treated right away all the time is something that is increasingly something that people are getting comfortable with. And I think that's a good thing because I think that we as a community, as a medical community, we're potentially causing some harm by over-treating people in the past without realizing that, that that's what we were doing. Yeah, especially depending on the region of the body where you're working. So you will have this conference. When does that take place? And then what are the steps beyond that? The conference is going to be, it's a virtual conference. And so, you know, the listeners on this program can actually sign up for it. And it is going to be December 13th and December 16th. At the conclusion of the conference, then what will your next steps be in this program? The conference would be, you know, as I mentioned, it'll be a virtual conference. It'll be the afternoons of those two days from 12 to 4 on Monday and Thursday. And what we would be doing is that the conference will be a mix of patients and doctors and advocates. And it'll be run in a way that we will be gathering feedback from people. And you don't have to be an expert on this topic. It's helpful if you are someone who's familiar with it, like you're either dealing with it yourself or just have some kind of exposure to active salience and prostate cancer, because we'll be asking for your opinion on what is important to you as a prostate cancer patient. That's who we're looking for. 
And what we will be doing, we'll be gathering information about what should we be focusing on in terms of research, in terms of like quality of life outcomes and the way that we do active surveillance, like what matters to you, what doesn't matter to you. And over the course of two days, the first day, we'll be just gathering a lot of information and then we'll synthesize it. And on the second day, we're going to discuss with you what we found based on what you all told us. And then we'll be asking you for feedback on that to make sure that we're getting it right. The whole thing is going to be structured in a way that we really actually are going to make sure we want to hear from patients. We're not going to let like just academics dominate this. This is really meant to be a way to bring these communities together and have a conversation and let patients help dictate the direction of future research. All right. So veterans need apply then. It would be wonderful to have veterans. And there's and it's it's simply a registration. I mean, if, if this is something of interest to you and it's something that you're familiar with and it's something you're dealing with in your life, then come register. That's all there is to it. There is not even an application. It's, it's simply just register and show up and we would just be delighted to have you. Dr. Mohammed Minhaj Siddiqui is Chief of Urology for the VA Maryland Healthcare System. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping us get the word out on this. And we'll post this interview, one in a series of interviews with top VA researchers, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. 
but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals Organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. 
she turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.